At the end of the day, aren't we all idiots with a computer? <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all? Well, stupid is as stupid does, right. to, quote, it, to quote a wise <laughs> philosopher. <laughs> Welcome to This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is The Internet and Christianity, a conversation about the internet, what it means for Catholics, and for our relationship with God and each other. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Galliott, artist, resident geek, and my co-host today. Yes. Hello, Peter. Hello, everyone. And welcoming back, hardly a guest, because he's now becoming an old favourite, Matthew Tan, lecturer, academic, author, and editor at Awkward Asian Theologian, the blog. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Hello, Matthew. Uh, Before we get started, just a reminder that if you like the show, you should subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app, and that way you won't miss a single show. Let's get right into today's topic the internet and Christianity. Now, the reason we have Matthew here today is that he wrote an intriguing essay uh, some time ago. When was it, Matthew? Oh, I think that may have been a few years back. I think it was something like three years ago. Yeah. Maybe even more. I think it would be more, actually, because I've been thinking about it for longer than that. And usually I don't think unless I've read something about it. So you made this claim, or rather the title of the essay, was it in the internet as a form of prayer? That's correct. Right. Mm -hmm. And that idea grabbed my attention initially. So how how could the internet be a form of prayer? So maybe if you open up with that. Sure. What I basically identified in in that presentation was uh, to look at, to draw parallels between how an observer would look at uh, uh, the way an, an internet user would use the internet. Right. And how... Um, a person enters into a state of prayer. So if you looked at a person sitting on the internet and you looked at a person praying, Mm -hmm. there are are similarities. There there would be um, similarities not only in what we actually see on the outside, but also what is going on uh, with the user and the person at prayer on the inside why they're doing it. And why they're doing it. Yeah. So one of the things that I talked about uh, specifically was the question of decentering. And in decentering, a person... Uh, say it, who who is at prayer is actually not he he's not his own person when right. a person is at prayer he is directing his attention to God um, but more than that I drew on a, a book written by uh, a Carmelite um, nun on spirituality mm-hmm. uh, her name was um, Ruth Burrows she wrote this uh, book called To Believe in Jesus right in one of her writings she says that. Prayer is actually not something that you do. Prayer is something that Jesus does through you. Mm. And so, so we prayer do pray is this, through Jesus, don't we? We do. Yeah. We do. And 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 the Spirit is what gives us the, you know, gives us the the, the words uh, when our words fail. Mm. So when there's a very profound Trinitarian, you know, communal act when mm. a person is at prayer. Right, you are entering into the body of Christ. Yep. You are drawn into the body of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and mm. you are directing what the Holy Spirit says through you back to the Father. And you're joining Christ's prayers. And so you're joining Christ's prayers. So we literally pray in the name of Jesus Christ. So we're yeah. joining his prayer and his mission. Correct. But how is that related to the internet? This is related to the internet because the internet is actually a very profoundly for the want of a better term, social activity. Okay. Um, because you need a lot of 
you need a lot of things to actually get on the internet. Right. Um, we haven't got to the stage where we can actually get online uh, on our own steam just right. yet. We okay. still need a lot of infrastructure. A device. Um, a device. We need the services of various corporations and companies yep. um, such as power, yep. such as Wi-Fi, um, mm. Wi-Fi you know, ISPs yep. and the like. And all the technologies involved in 4G or whatever it is. Correct. We also need um, the assistance of a whole range of administrators, group administrators, site administrators, in order to um, express ourselves online. Mm. So there's actually a, a, a very uh, social dimension Right, mm. where you are not your own person, you actually need to rely on a lot of other persons in order for you to express yourself right. online. So before I even utter a word online, I am already moving out of you know moving out of myself and relying upon others. And it's, and it's not just others; it's, it's a bigger thing than all of us individually. Absolutely. Like, so it's not just one person is the internet typing all the answers. That's right. No. You're, you're tapping into something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. That's mm. right. So so entry into the internet, at least at that, uh, you know, at that level, um, has a lot of um, similarities to the processes uh, that are taking place in prayer. I mm. see. It's funny. I went a slightly different way when I thought about it, mm-hmm. and maybe I think it came up in your paper. I think that um, the reasons you go to prayer mm-hmm. are similar in some ways to the reasons you go to the internet. Mm. So, for example. You might go to in a world before the internet. If you didn't understand something, you might pray, say, "God, help me understand it." Or, or if you looked for answers for life's life's difficult questions, or you were worried about a particular ache in your back, and is it cancer? You know, <laughs> so you go go to God. Or um, it's usually not, by the way. Or, or you're feeling, yeah, it's almost. It's we almost need to make that clear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or you feel some way disconnected to the whole world and you find consolation in prayer and God. Mm-hmm. We seem to go, for all those reasons now, we seem to go to the internet. So, mm. you know, Dr. Google, which is, as you said, mm. quite disastrous because I end up finding, you know, finding out that I've got seven forms of horrible leprosy or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also I seem to go looking to the internet for my cure of loneliness or the, the lack of knowledge or wanting to understand or for, trying to find meaning in life. Um, there's there's some of those searches when you type in what is the meaning of and you see all the possible results come out and you think, gosh, this is all the most asked questions on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's quite, there seems to be all the questions that people might have put to God before the internet are now sure. going to the internet. Sure. In order to deal with the situation, we need to expand ourselves, whether it is in terms of our mental capacity, whether it is in terms of our reach, whether it is in terms of our own, you know, subjectivity by uh, recourse to reaching out to friends uh, to form a community. We uh, are motivated to um, expand ourselves, right, in order to meet the challenge that is before us. That is something that is a very profi- uh, profoundly human experience, mm. and uh, we turn to um, technology, and as much as we turn to prayer, um, to meet these challenges. Mm. And also, it seems that technology actually ends up shaping. It's not just that we're looking for help for technology outside of ourselves to do the ordinary things. The fact that we've turned to technology has ended up shaping our ordinary life. That's right. So yeah. people are, are literally almost living for the next Instagram shot or the Facebook, how this is going to look on Facebook or mm-hmm. Facebook events or and you know, the connections, if you like, or whatever other internet things are going to happen. Mm. They seem to almost shape life 
by way of reaction to the internet. So the whole phenomenon, just to give an example, back when it wasn't so long ago, but the people were planking. Now, mm-hmm. yeah. the most absurd idea of, of, of now, okay, it's a bit of fun, but honestly, the fact that people were doing it was, was a direct reaction to everyone's doing this at the moment mm-hmm. and I want to be part of the tribe yeah, kind of thing. Right. And I will do this and, and people will look at me because I'm planking in this weird way or something. No, that's right. There's actually a, a really interesting podcast I listened to um, called The Happiness Lab and it was a psychologist looking into the various angles on what it means to be happy. Right. In one episode, this podcaster was looking at what the effect shared experiences have on the experience of any particular thing, whether it is pleasant or whether it is unpleasant. Um, What the study found was that when an experience gets shared, the experience actually becomes more intense. Okay. The good effects are actually experienced more intensely. The bad effects uh, happen to be worse when that same experience gets shared. So the experience becomes more real Mm. to us. So sharing has now become uh, such an important part of uh, our everyday experience. So it's more than than just a kind of a social validation. It's actually an intensification of the experience. Correct. It's actually, uh, as you say, it is is a a sort of socially constructed validation of the fact that you had you, yeah. this experience. Mm. If you had not shared it, it, ha- it hadn't happened. Well, it's like things on, on Reddit, for example. You share something and, and people can upvote it or downvote it to mm-hmm. see you know, which one is truth. Um, <laughs> but there's also this, this understanding, we were saying before, that people look online for answers that they would have originally turned to God. But a lot of the time, people I, I've, I've found don't check to see the, the, the validity of what they've come up with or mm-hmm. whether, you know, how true it is. And so there's almost this blind faith that mm. number one on there that I've found to this answer, this question mm. is the truth. It's um, usually if they agree with it though, there's a confirmation bias there. Yeah. It's, it's, as in, you know, this confirms mm-hmm. what I already think, therefore yeah, I true. assume that no, it's true. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. We just rely on something without verifying, you know, its uh, validity. Yeah. Um, it says something about the way we actually have come to discern truth, which mm. actually is uh, not a new thing. No. The um, the recently canonized Saint Saint John Henry Newman actually had something to say about uh, about this, albeit obliquely, in um, his very famous essay, "The Grammar of Assent." In the Grammar of Assent, um, Saint John Henry Newman sort of rejected this idea that whenever we decide whether something is true, what we do is that we, ver- we scientifically verify every element of the claim, mm-hmm. prove that that is true to our satisfaction, and then accept something to be true. In actual fact, um, John Henry Newman said that we are predisposed to be believing creatures. We already, without um, going through that mental process, are already giving assent to any uh, particular truth claim about the world. Right. Um, so we are always oriented towards believing something to be true before we actually start verifying whether something is true. And is that to do with the fact that we want it to be true or, or, or it's, it suits our purposes in this community to remain in this community that we accept that that's it's, true? It certainly accentuates it. Right. Um, but what what it also, what this particular bias, this, this um, uh, confirmation bias that we are seeing on the net demonstrates, albeit to the nth degree, mm. is the fact that before we are 
um, before we are verifiers, we are believers. Okay. Yeah. There is a beautiful uh, leveling of the internet. So it actually levels out all sources. So you, where we used to have to rely on the local news service to decide what was important for us to understand, you can get access to almost anything. And so, for example, um, instead of me having to access church teachings through my local uh, channels, I can now go straight to Vatican.com, mm. you know, mm. uh, if they ever update their webpage. <laughs> the, <laughs> so, but there, there's all kinds of ways I can get access to things and the direct news sort of Twitter feeds and all these sorts of things uh, are quite, They've demonstrated their power in, in a number of revolutionary situations where there's uh, the government's trying to suppress information and it's still mm. coming out. Um, it's not perfect, but it does seem to have leveled the field. Another way it's leveled is that where we used to rely very much on the, the ideas of critics. So if, I don't know if you're a Rotten Tomatoes fan. There's a website called Rotten Tomatoes who um, review movies and there's other similar ones like it. But you get the critics' review Mm -hmm. and the the people's review so they're the people mm -hmm. who have actually watched it and as consumers and more and more it's becoming obvious that the critics are a whole different world yeah. to yeah, the average right. listener and mm -hmm. sorry the average consumer and you'll get someone who's a who's an actual um like a critic and they're, they're canning something a 13 percent, i think one of the shows got and 99 percent from the audience mm -hmm. and that's that's a disconnect normally mm -hmm. we would have to come through the critics mm -hmm. uh, to get mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. understanding of something that's right it, it seems to have leveled out in that sense but there's also the negative sense of it mm -hmm. um so maybe if you can talk about the positive sense of access and the the breadth sure that is there first. sure i mean one of the things that you're talking about there is that there's actually a removal of privileged gatekeepers okay yeah um, good you know the gatekeepers mm. have been uh, sort of like knocked off their perch so to speak right but at the same time that is not to say um that we have removed the need for gatekeepers in general or because, interpreters at least that's right because what we have done is not remove the gatekeepers or interpreters we've just multiplied them mm, <laughs> that's right right um, and also we've made it it's almost like protestantization of the of the of information because you you've let uh, let me select who i want to be mm -hmm. my gatekeeper yet at the same time the other interesting thing that that demonstrates too is the fact that um, when we try to discern what is or is not good information we are not simply um, doing this on our own. Yeah. We are doing this as members of a particular, um, you know, the postmodern um, writers talk about this as an interpretive community. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We are interpreting the, the whole barrage of information all around us by becoming members of a community that in turn filters that um, information and perceives that as either good, true, false or bad. Mm. Um, information, but what that that interpretive community is not completely flattened out. Right, right? every mm. one of those communities has uh, the, the the French um, philosopher Jacques Derrida talks about um, the 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 good role that what he calls an interpretive police actually play. <laughs> um, and every of these, every one of these communities has what is what an, effectively an interpretive police That's that right. um, checks the borders of what is good or bad interpretation. Right. And what, what behavior is acceptable within this particular group. Correct. Yeah. And what the net has done is simply multiply the numbers of interpretive police exponentially. I think mm -hmm. that was where I was going with this. That the while the walls have come down between us and the information, we can get mm -hmm. to it. it. The walls have also come down between us and protecting us against unwanted 
commentaries or mm, unwanted yeah. feedback. So it's possible, for example, to get um, absolutely smashed on the internet if you happen to, um, you know, poke a certain anthill. You know, if you mm-hmm. happen to <laughs> to say a you know use a particular catchphrase the wrong way or upset the wrong trigger, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you can get pile-on effects where literally a young lady can take off, make a Twitter comment before she takes off, take off and fly to South Africa. And when she lands, she finds out she's sacked and her entire life is ruined. She has Mm. to change her name because someone's misunderstood a sarcastic joke she told. Mm -hmm. And it's it's gone viral on Twitter and it's so much public heat, the company just doesn't want a bar of it. So this kind of pylon, which there's no barriers to that. There's no Mm. walls to stop that happening, Mm. if you like. No, that's right. And what that demonstrates uh, is two uh, two things, right? First is that um, just because the number of interpretive police have multiplied doesn't necessarily mean that um, there are now good or bad interpretations. It just means that there are many, many interpretations. And in fact, the number of them can actually get quite vicious because mobs, generally speaking, are, are not as intelligent as the least intelligent person in them. Correct. And, what that all, uh, and the other thing that uh, that also demonstrates is that because there are no good or bad interpretations, the recourse to you know one's cognitive uh, faculties, or mm. you know, the you know, to, to use to put it colloquially, the use of our reason mm. to um, filter um, whether something is is true or not, is kind of subordinated to our recourse to emotions. Yeah, we now have. How does this make me feel? How does That's this make what's me feel? Determine whether I listen to it. Absolutely, mm. and 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 the and how I feel determines whether something is is true or not, whether it's worthy of attention, mm. um, and and so on, and 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 even. Even when I don't want to listen to something, there seems to be some people with perhaps, let's just say, a little too, too much time on their hands, the combox warriors. Mm-hmm. So the, the instant you know you say something they don't like, if you have any kind of a profile, mm-hmm. there's this pile-on of, of just vitriol and hate. Yeah. Because there's no consequences for me yeah. being nasty to someone, mm-hmm. I you know I just unleash. And yeah. and if I can't get my own way immediately, then I just keep turning the, to the, the hurt and the vitriol up until mm-hmm. I get some sort of reaction. That's well, right. That what this kind of demonstrates is that the internet is actually not a neutral space at all. Right. It is actually a, a formative space. It is a, a, a space that forms our, our desires, it forms our emotional states, and it has an effect of transforming us into another person. This is another reason why I said that there, you know, there are parallels between the internet and prayer. So it changes me as a person. It changes you as a person, but just as prayer changes me as a person. Sorry, Box, you had something. I was just thinking with having so many interpreters Mm -hmm. involved in the internet, I mean, doesn't that do away with particular criteria that we have in which to participate in conversations and things like that? Things that that's why we, we find it difficult to judge you know, good or bad information. Mm. So what, what's a good movie? Mm. Who decides what's a good movie? The critics mm. had a criteria yeah, yeah. and now every, people are judging it on other grounds. I would put it a little bit differently. It's not so much that we have done away with particular criteria. It's just that, like, once again, we have multiplied the, the criteria mm. uh, by which we can judge whether something is good or but true. But in so doing, then we, we don't know which criteria to follow. So in a way, Correct. we have done away with it. But we've done, what we have done away is a universally agreeable criteria. That's what, uh, that's what we have uh, yeah. done. And this is yeah. the, the whole fake news thing, mm. is that distinguishing between, because any idiot with a computer and a little bit of knowledge with um, Photoshop and a few other things mm-hmm. can create almost anything, mm-hmm. you, you're dealing with a situation where 
it's it takes a fair bit of investigation to, to decide whether something's a genuine news article or not. Mm-hmm. And so the the amount of effort to discredit every bit of fake news mm-hmm. is, is such an immense thing mm-hmm. that we we just can't get to it every day if we're going to be looking on the internet. So several times I've found an article and thought that would be really cool. I'd better make sure yeah. and then find out it's something that's done the rounds every five years or so. Like them finding, you know, one of the one, my favourite ones, it's an f- absolute furphy, is mm-hmm. oh, they found, you know, remnants of um, Egyptian chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that's true, so I'd check it up and find out, no, they didn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's something someone made up, you know, 20 years ago and it keeps circulating mm-hmm. every mm-hmm. five years or so. At the end yeah. of the day, aren't we all idiots with a computer? <laughs> <laughs> aren't we all? Well, However, it's in stupid response, is as stupid does, right. to, quote, is to, to quote a, a wise philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, to, to, to respond to what, to what you said about um, this idea of articles making, you know, making, doing the rounds every few years, mm-hmm. there's actually something really interesting about what um, the net has done to our, to our sense of history and memory. Okay. Um, I wrote elsewhere uh, on the blog that we are experiencing a kind of collapsing or a contraction of how we experience, you know, time and history. Right. So much so that we actually we are losing our sense um, of history, such that when something crops up after, you know three months or three years it comes across as something new right that's that's actually something um, we're goldfish what's that we're that, literally goldfish swimming we around become, going oh be- look a rock oh that's look right. a rock we've become goldfish <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. wow so this is a social media phenomenon I noticed that when Facebook throws up your memories mm-hmm. oh, which yeah. basically means a post you might be still interested in because some yes. other people liked it back then that's right uh, you know you think gosh that was a long time ago and whereas mm-hmm. My me- that's not my memory at all. I don't. Mm-hmm. My memories are not associated with looking at Facebook. I actually did stuff in these intervening mm-hmm. years. Thank mm-hmm. you, Facebook. Um, but there's there's something kind of um, I don't know. I'm trying to put my finger on it. Insidious about Facebook deciding what I should remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. The um, the internet and I know we are going into social media later on, but mm. um, the 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 internet is. Uh, a very hierarchical space, as I right. said before, mm. right? Yes, in one level, it has uh, flattened out the um, discursive space mm. by getting rid of elite gatekeepers, but yeah. gatekeepers still remain. The hierarchies are still there. Right. We still need to submit ourselves um, to a particular hierarchy before we can even start to play the game, poking around. Yeah. Um, if, you, if, you, if you get banned from a particular platform, mm. well, let's go to the social media. We've we've had a friend. Also, um, do you know what the internet kills? Memory. <laughs> yes. Also, intellectual um, capacity. By the way, because mm-hmm. they've shown that we just did it just before we came on there, but they've shown that googling an, an answer to a question actually undermines your IQ because mm-hmm. there's a power of wondering as in there's a power it's like me, like exercising you know that you have to exercise something to get good at it mm. so the fact that I could, couldn't immediately remember the name of the nun for example who was one of the one of the sort of the founding thinkers that led to the internet mm-hmm. uh, I should have just let sit in my mind and, and struggle to remember it all day because that exercise of striving to remember actually gets my brain sharper mm-hmm. and helps me to think more absolutely but if I look straight for the answer then I become lazy mm-hmm. my yeah. brain starts to atrophy yeah. in that area that's right and because you know what the internet kills memory 
<laughs> <He's> just, <laughs> we, now we can't edit out either of those instances. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Please don't do that all show. <laughs> Coming back to social media, um, we have a friend who was on the podcast, and uh, Mark Shea, who mm-hmm. had said some uh, things that people didn't like in regards to US politics, and he was beset by a very well-organised and probably what we used to call denial of service kind of attacks, but they manipulated the mechanisms in Facebook because there's an algorithm. They, the Facebook, when we people say, oh, I got banned, they imagine that there's some boffin in Facebook headquarters deciding who to ban. It's all algorithm-based. So if mm-hmm. enough people get upset, you end up knocking someone mm-hmm. off the thing. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he's he's gone through <laughs> a couple of bans since then. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's literally that the gatekeepers, the people who really didn't like the fact that he was having subtraction with what he was saying, tried to shut him down. It, it, no platforming has become something which is possible in, a, in this area because we have these blocks and, and ways of banning people. Mm. That, yeah. Is that so different from the past? It's, uh, it, it's bringing up a particular kind of uh, paradox about um, the internet as a space. Right. Because yeah, yeah. at one level, it is a very democratic space. It opens up the possibilities for various angles um, on a, any particular matter. Um, yet at the same time, precisely because it is such a democratic space, it has also opened the field up for that kind of, of uh, uh, social media space, particularly, yeah. uh, to be taken up by very big corporations, such yes. that um, only a few elite corporations have come to dominate, um, yeah, you know, dominate the internet space and social media in particular. Mm-hmm. So what this sort of bring, goes back to my earlier point about about hierarchies, right? At uh, you know the num the the elite gatekeepers may have disappeared or may have been reformulated. Mm. Um, yet at the same time, the space itself has now become taken over by a very uh, yeah. uh, small elite of, I was watching of corporations. A, I was watching a video clip of a TV show. Um, I don't usually watch these shows, but it was a panel show, and two of the experts on the panel mm-hmm. were um, bloggers and internet commentators. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, when does this qualify They've you? Been, like, I've got yeah. a blog. Do, what, what, mm. That doesn't qualify me to say anything. No. Oh, um, unless you've actually written some quite intelligent things on your blog, which you have. This is um, uh, goes. This goes back to this other uh, question about information, the kind of information that we yeah. are getting on the internet. It's not simply that we are getting, you know, more information. The quality of the information is also changing. Right. Yeah. The the information that we are getting is um is not only more voluminous, we're not just getting more of it, yeah. but the types of, uh, the the items of information that we are getting are also starting to contract. We you know pieces are getting shorter. Right. Um, yeah. We now yeah. um, think in terms of memes rather than just yeah. single frame images, yep. rather than uh, full blown essays. Yeah. Um, I was just joking before we came in here about TLDR on the internet. Mm-hmm. The yeah. too long didn't read. Absolutely. And TLDRs are now appearing on one page documents. Yeah. Mm. It's yeah. a page for goodness' sake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> TLDR. So it, it used to be where there's a wall of text and mm-hmm. someone would put a little short version up the top, but TLDR now is. Um, is for, for anything longer than a couple of words. It's mm. just well, I, I remember just recently reading uh, an article. I can't remember what article it was, but the TLDR was at the top of the article and then they had about two pages restating the same thing 15 times or so. 
and it was the same five points that was in the TLDR. Mm-hmm. Right. We just it was it's that short. That they, they, <laughs> yeah. So it's changing <laughs> us in that way. So you were saying about this, the this oh, type um, of thing we're getting. That's right. Yeah. The the um and, th- and this is an uh, again the result of giving the social media space over to just a few um yeah. you know a few corporations mm. that a lot of the information that then gets fed to us precisely because it is the result of an ag- algorithm mm-hmm. um, also comes prefabricated it does and in fact if i google on my device you're going to get a different result from yours because mm. it keeps track of what i've been interested in mm. and spins to you in fact it starts to spin me stuff as soon as, as, soon as it figures out i'm male mm-hmm. and that i'm of a certain age it starts to throw certain things at me and then as it learns my preferences etc what freaks me out is when i on my phone purchase a particular item like i'll, I'll buy a microphone for recording this podcast and then the next instant it comes up on I facebook pull up facebook on my pc <laughs> And it's throwing ads for microphones on Facebook. And you go, yeah, well, they don't know my buying habits for starters because I buy, I'm in and out and gone. <laughs> so they're too late. <laughs> but just become worried when they uh, when they start putting up ads after you started talking about buying a microphone on the internet. Yes, mm. that, that is, it's actually possible now, but it's, it's not terribly legal as I understand mm, yeah. it. But the technology is certainly there. I have a friend who works in something like this industry and it's possible to do that. Mm. It's interesting, he did a, a series of ads in Town Hall Station where they could access, if you allow your phone to, oh, to yeah. identify him, mm. Yeah, he, he accessed that and um, all these company did. And then it threw up a picture of you, your own profile picture mm. and said, uh, it was for an airline and they said, Peter, we're flying for you mm. as you walk past the ad. So it talks to you. So, and, But yeah. then people got so freaked out by it. <laughs> this is bringing up something um, about social media that I'm finding fascinating. And that is the idea that we somehow like being surveyed. Ah, um, we like being we, watched. We like is being that part watched. of the prayer thing? Because we, we like to feel significant. It's not just that we like yeah. to feel significant, but we also like to feel um, like we are being considered. Right. You know, considered by others. And again, this goes back to the, the earlier point about the shared experience, right? Mm. If it's not just experiences um, that need to be shared in order to be validated, it's also persons that need to be shared and watched in order to be validated. Hmm. Um, I, I have found some, exper- uh, so, some, some of my friends that actually refuse to participate in internet conversation because of the negative experiences on there. they it, It's created a fear in them. So they refuse to participate in social media and things like that. So mm-hmm. in terms of prayer then, is there a trepidation for entering into the challenges of this form of, I guess, contemporary uh, life? I think so. Um, if there is a fear of social engagement as a result of one's um, you know, negative encounters on the internet, it is very likely um, that their attitudes to any kind of social engagement outside of the internet will similarly become affected. Yeah. Because uh, it's, not, it's not simply that because I have had one um, bad experience in one place that I'll, have, uh, I'll be afraid to have another bad experience in another, yeah, place. another place. It's yeah. just that the internet has now become such a pervasive part of our lives. It's so foundational mm. to our lives that the moment we actually have a but any experience, whether good or yeah. bad, on the internet, it actually shapes how we interact in every sphere uh, in yeah. real space and time. Because I think it hurts deeper for many people since in, on social media, you can form the idealized version of yourself 
mm-hmm. on there and for that person to be slammed uh yeah this is my be, best this is my yeah, best this shot is my best <laughs> self right. this and, is my best shot at being a person and yeah. if you hate that then what are my chances in yeah. real space and time with imperfect yeah because i have argued in the past that uh in history christians catholics have used technology to if for their faith for mm. to, for their prayer you know writing mm. books having drama mm. uh cinema all that and then here we are with the internet now and mm. and there seems to have been um from my understanding a lot of christians saying no no i won't have it that that's that's a bad influence on mm. my life and i think there's a huge uh, as you're saying it, it can be a form of prayer mm. there there's something that we miss in trying to stay away yeah, from it. Yeah, I'm concerned about the control situation. So two mm-hmm. things I'd like to throw at you, Matthew. Um, mm-hmm. One is that Google admitted um, a couple of years ago that the algorithms which control what we see when we Google are so complex now that no one employee of Google actually understands them. Oh, wow. Right. As in they've gone beyond mm-hmm. human ken. So mm-hmm. while a particular programmer might understand one particular part of it, mm-hmm. they've got machine learning going to the, such a degree mm-hmm. that the Google algorithms are actually g- perpetuating to a such yes. a strong t- that we don't understand them anymore. Yes. That they're so they're beyond us in their complexity. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I'd say though is that the the so-called leveler of the internet doesn't seem to work in countries where they shut it down. So for example in China where it's absolutely like there's some leak but there's a there's a dominant kind of culture and they can control mm. to some extent because we still need the devices, we still need the 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 companies which do the radio waves. Mm-hmm. Did I'm you not, say radio waves? <laughs> we still do. I mean, yeah, well Wi-Fi or whatever it is, not the radio waves, but the, we mm. still need something yeah to 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 in other words to spread the web. Yes. And even if we're not going to go i mean it's easy to point at someone and say you totalitarian regime you bad mm-hmm. bad person aren't we still in capitalist countries pretty much money is running the show mm-hmm. and so whether they can sell you stuff ends up being why everything's on the internet to to go to your first point about google's al- algorithms um what that uh, is saying to me is that the interpretive communities that i spoke about earlier are becoming more depersonalized. Right. We are getting to a point where the um you know the interpretive police for any interpretive community is not a person. It's actually yeah. a mathematical formula. Right. Mm. So we're letting a mathematical formula um overtake a person's capacity to actually act as the arbiter for what's good, true and beautiful. Right. Yeah. So it's becoming dehumanized. It's becoming depersonalized certainly. Right. Um and in so far as it becomes depersonalized, it can lay the uh, the foundations for dehumanization right. later on. Okay. Um especially when the algorithm starts to become the criteria by which you actually uh determine what it means to be human. Right. And it, and this can apply to all sorts of things. Uh particularly when it comes to um looking at how images become circulated on the internet as a result of uh, an algorithm right with regards to your second point about the i guess the, the the sort of contrast that i think is being drawn uh between the capitalists on the one hand and the totalitarian regime on the other you got to remember that the the big co- collaborator in the chinese governments for instance uh, um crackdown on the internet was google right 
So there is actually not a contrast between no. um, capitalist, uh, the capitalist on the one hand and the totalitarian on the other. Mm-hmm. In in some circumstances, it actually is, there's actually a very strong um, link between yeah. one and the other. Well, it's it's happening. This is what I was saying recently to a friend. The uh, the problem isn't that capitalism is a is a contrast to sort of any totalitarian mm-hmm. regime. If the totalitarian regime happens to have enough money, capitalism will sell itself to it mm-hmm. instantly. Mm-hmm. And uh, in other words, where Google is doing this because that buys them a market in a, in a very massive market. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, it's just a business decision for them. Yes. But they quite deliberately, well, what else could they cooperate in? There's all kinds of other manipulation and, and mm-hmm. problems. Um, no doubt we're being manipulated commercially. We mm-hmm. can all see it. No, that's right. That's right. The question then becomes: um, uh, How do we operate as Catholics in this in this environment? Yeah. So, mm. is this this isn't we, we used to call it the New Wild West when it first mm. came out because mm. it was really was anyone with a modem can connect directly with anyone else with a modem, and technically you still can mm. um, parts of the deep web and also direct um, direct internet connections can do it. But most of us connect through intermediaries, and that is a mediated experience. How do we handle this as Catholics? Uh, how do we keep self-aware about mm. the changes yeah. that are happening and how do we actually you know turn it into a positive thing because this this podcast is broadcast almost completely by the internet yeah so no that's right one of the things that i would uh, draw our attention to is the fact that in the first instance going onto the internet is uh, a communal activity right like yeah. as as a uh, you are entering into a communal space yep um when you when you log on, yeah. having said that, the uh, this communal space is actually not a perfect parallel yeah. to you know the communal space that you would see in real space in real and life. time. Because yeah. in real space and time, a lot of the people that we would have in our communities are very different people. Yes, um, the community space uh, on the internet is a space that actually breeds. Uh, conformity, right? It emphasizes conformity because all all I can see of you is your idea about this. That's right. And therefore, if we're going to hang out, you, you, your idea about this yeah. is all that matters. That's right. And yeah. and so one of the things that needs to be, you know, one of the things that we need to be aware of there is this pressure um, to conform. Mm. And one of the ways that um, Christians, in particular Catholics, can contribute to life on the internet and it is a life form that we mm. um you know that we need to take seriously and not avoid is to actually uh create the space in such a way that different types of people can inhabit it it's interesting you say that because of my best experiences on the internet in terms of community mm-hmm. have been where we're where I'm engaged in someone, a community that's doing something else. Mm-hmm. So, for example, either a gaming community or a community that's just set up to hang out, like Minecraft or, or Second Life sure. or, you know, where, where people just do do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And what you think about various political things or, or religious things is almost irrelevant mm. because you're you're doing this thing together. That's right. And, and it becomes much more tolerant community because I might even hang out with people I wouldn't talk to in a pub mm-hmm. and then when I meet them in real life later and find out what they're actually like I think I would never have even approached you to talk to you yep. yeah. and yet we're really good friends now yeah. mm-hmm. but that's because we met not arguing about or talking about a particular idea mm-hmm. we met doing something in a space that is a virtual reality but it's still a reality that's right and and the other thing that you pointed out there uh, with your experience with your friend from uh, from the gaming community is the fact that you actually interacted with them outside of the online space. 
you interacted with them with in real space and time and that interactions in real space and time mm. was the the real occasion for friendship mm. right because you're not just in 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 the online community sure you are setting mm. aside certain differences in order to do something together mm. but in so far as you're doing that you're not actually uh, putting out the whole complexity of your person yeah, on no. display yeah. in the same way that you would in a in a real uh, um, offline community, so to speak. In some respects, because but I played cricket with people and they only knew me as Correct. a cricket player, yeah. and so they Correct. knew my personality on the cricket field. That's right. And they, they I mean, I, they'd see me in difficult situations, but that could be similar on an online mm. community. Yeah. But I think this is this is what I was trying to get get at earlier with the whole thing of. I don't think we can be if uh, I mean we have reasons to fear, but I think it's one of those things that we we are really encouraged to as 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 believers in Christ to not turn away but mm. learn how to engage in this new culture yep. and and part of that is understanding how to work the space mm. um it, you're right there peter i think in terms of uh, the the two-dimensionality in which you participate on the, in the internet that you don't put all of yourself on there we have to learn how to use that two-dimensionality to participate in, in the conversations as, as horrible as many of them are. Mm. And sometimes, I mean, I've been blasted so many times on the internet for, for saying something, you know, but it's part and parcel of that maturity as well mm. um, and showing that we can take it, hopefully teaching others by doing that, that, hang on, you should be able to take something as well, you know. like. Mm -hmm. Final yeah. comment, Matt, on how we use the space and how we make the space. If sure. The other thing is to also be aware that um, um, the internet is a is a curated space, right? Mm. And we present curated versions of ourselves when we enter that space, right? It, it is it is true uh, that sometimes that um, you know that curated version of ourselves can be you know can be dropped mm. when we are in this anonymous space on the internet. But for the most part, it is actually a manufactured uh, version of yourself yeah. um, when you enter the internet, and and what we what we seek when we uh, want to build human community is not a curated version um, of ourselves. Mm. We want the whole person to be there, to be present before us with all of its complexities and with all yeah. of its dimensions. What this means is that um, as, as good as online communities are in starting up communal um, networks, those networks actually need to be brought into real space and time right. in some way. Sure. I, um, we, 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 this will probably have to be a di uh, the subject of a different um, discussion, but I think that the church actually has a very big part to play mm. in creating that, um, that, that space in real space and time, whereby a person who has, you know, whom we have met on the internet can be brought out into you know, into the light of day, right. like literally the light of day, yep. um, and have that that person's complexity uh, put before us, hmm. and conversely, have our own complexities put before that person, so that we can come into deeper communion with one another. If I can mm. perhaps uh, end with a, an anecdote which might bring home some of that possibility, is mm -hmm. that when I first was considering the deep questions which led me to Catholicism, mm -hmm. Uh, I was terrified. I didn't want to talk to any Catholics. And my first two experiences of talking to a Catholic were quite bad experiences. So I, I, I was, didn't know what to do. So I anonymously, so I did the anonymous thing on the internet, reached out and, and tried to, in fact, I put a question to almost every Catholic institution in Australia. And the, the variety of responses is probably for another podcast, but one particular group got back to me 
and the interaction I had with them led to, in a very short time, to a phone call and then in a very short time after that, a personal meeting. It's a meeting which would have been impossible by any other world. I wouldn't have found them. It's such an obscure group that they had. They had a small group of people um, meeting in Sydney here uh, to, to discuss the Catholic faith. They happened to have a website. I found it on a search, and then, and, and then I discovered them. And through that, I had some very, very good uh, conversations and still some very strong friendships from that. And it was an instrumental part. It wasn't the cause, but it was one of the instrumental parts of me becoming Catholic. So there is, if you like, as you say, when there's a connection, when it's a facilitation of personal relationships, it can actually be a strong thing. Mm-hmm. All right. That's probably a good time to wrap it up. So that's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking, arguing, or wondering at your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to our podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au or on your favourite podcast app, and you can let us know what you'd like us to discuss in the future by dropping us a line at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au or you can join us on all of these aforesaid nasty social media things, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord. They're all good, and you will find us there. Remember that this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast, and we think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. It's time of the show for shout-outs. So off you go, Box. Uh, Considering the topic, I've been sharing a lot of food videos and memes on my <laughs> Facebook. And, and so this shout out, especially if all those uh, people that seem to follow my page and like my stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Fair Matthew. I would like uh, uh, to give a shout out to um, two podcasting friends of mine, um, Joel and David, who produce an, uh, a really good podcast called The Eucatastrophe. They are a, a really good resource when it comes to um, analyzing a whole range of of things um, from a political, a legal, philosophical, and sometimes theological perspective. Wow! Um, I highly recommend uh, getting uh, uh, having a listen to the Eucatastrophe. Okay. Uh, my shout out was similar to boxes, except that I want to shout out to two or three people who are um, in constant conversation with me about. Uh, faith, life, everything. Some, uh, some of them are atheists, some of them are, are not, some of them are different different Christians and some of them are, are Catholics. But the constant back and forth between us and the genuine questions and the thoughtful way they've responded have shaped my thinking over the years and I'm deeply, deeply grateful for them. Um, and yeah, so don't be afraid to ask questions, people. It's a really, really important part of our formation yeah. of our own growth. That's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life.